you know what? We are in Exodus uh, 3, and we're talking about the burning bush, which is actually pretty cool. I like your pen. Burning bush is a euonymous. Huh? Burning bush is a euonymous. A euonymous? Euonymous. Euonymous. What does that mean? It's just a botanical name for the common name is burning bush. Oh, okay. (laughs) There really is a burning bush. There you go. (laughs) Oh, they're very pretty. All right. So we, we talked about Moses last time we were together. And we talked about how he had been born and he had spent 40 years in Egypt, right? And then do you remember what happened, why he left Egypt? He killed a Egyptian. Mm-hmm. He killed an Egyptian, hit him in the sand. And uh, so he fled. And does anybody remember where he fled to? Mm-hmm. Midian. 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 Uh-huh. Right. Now, what is that? Uh, it's the ancient name for what today? Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Good. And so, well, I mean, it, it, that's its location. We'll just put it that way. Um, and so, do you know he spent uh, 40 years in Midian as a shepherd? Not a whole lot is talked about. We do know that he married Zipporah, who was the daughter of Jethro. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He was a priest of Midian. He had another name that is sometimes used, uh, Ruel, which means friend of God. Um, he is thought that he was a priest actually of our God, you know. Um, we know that Moses and Zipporah had uh, two sons. And other than that, there's not really much information for that 40 years, that second 40 years of his life. Right? So where we're picking up uh, in the whole account is at the end of that 40, the second 40 years. So he's 80 years old by this point. Right? Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. He's just been a shepherd all that time. <laughs> all right. So somebody read Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian, Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in plain... Wow, I can't read. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame, in flames, of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses, and this, Moses, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Okay. There's a whole lot here, believe it or not, in that first six verses. <laughs> so, um, first we have Moses. He's out there tending 
his father-in-law's sheep. That's what he's been doing for 40 years. You know, he's just been living life. <laughs> right? And uh, he, it's not unusual that there would be a bush burning because it's a wilderness, right? There's a lot of drought. Um, there was a lot of heat. It, what was unusual? That it wasn't being consumed, right? Um, I think it's interesting that it says in uh, verse 4, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. So it wasn't, God didn't call him until he noticed that he looked. And, you know, that's even something for us. We have to look first. And if we don't look, then he's not going to call. We have to recognize and notice. Um, another thing that it talks about is that it was the angel of the Lord. Did you notice that in verse 2? An angel in uh, this translation is New King James is capitalized. It's big A, right? Is yours capitalized? Yours is not. Huh. And yours isn't either? Okay. Well, mine is capitalized. But the thing about it is it makes it very clear. It says the angel of the Lord in verse 2, but then look down in verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right? And then he was afraid to look upon God. So this angel of the Lord is God. Right? That's what it's saying. And it's the same thing. You see the confirmation of that in Acts 7, verses 30 through 34. Uh, and it's where Stephen is making his sermon before they stone him. And he's going through Israel's history. He talks about this. And he puts it the very same way. Because he's basically quoting it. Um, but it's also interesting that it's called an angel of the Lord. Because in, in Isaiah chapter 6, if you'll remember, only there is there this one type of angel that is um, talked about. And it's a seraphim. And seraphim literally means a fiery, burning one. And so it's the same word, though, and we'll talk about this later when we get to it. But the fiery serpents who were in the wilderness and they were biting the children of Israel and they put up the bronze serpent. Well, same word as the seraphim who are the angels in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 in Hebrew. And I know, isn't that weird? Seraphim and, means a fiery serpent? No, it called, uh, it's fiery burning one. It's not burning one. Uh-huh. And so they're thinking that, and what they're called in Exodus is the fiery serpents. You know, and so they're seraphim. Um, it's thought that those angels, maybe they look like um, serpents in their movement, you know, maybe in color. We don't know, <laughs> honestly, uh, but it's the same word. And it, it's just interesting that it's the angel of the Lord. I don't know if it's referring to that, but how is, how is he appearing as a flame of fire, right? And so it stands to reason it's like the seraphim. And the seraphim are thought to be one of the highest rank of all angels. Um, they guard the, the throne. 
You know, they keep everything holy. If you remember Isaiah, he was saying, I'm from an undone people. You know, woe is me. And he went and they, the seraphim came and put a coal on his lips and purified him. Right. Because that's what what is a fire all through scripture. You see it seen as a purifier. Right. And so that's kind of what's going on here. This is interesting, too. Um, you have another case where you have um, the angel of the Lord appearing with a drawn sword and he uh, comes to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 5, right? And so let's look at that. Joshua 5, uh, starting at verse 13, and then go through, because remember there were no uh, chapter and verse breaks in the, in the original. So go down to 6-2, because it gives us the rest of the story. Uh-huh, Joshua 5, starting in verse 13. Because it goes with this. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you a friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. <clears throat> at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for, this, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its warriors. Okay, so who said that to Joshua? The Lord. And so it's all in the same narrative. So he's the one who came with drawn sword and told him, okay, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. And what is Joshua doing? He's worshiping him. He is bowing down to the ground in front of him. Every time you encounter an angel throughout all the scriptures, they never allow you to worship them. Wow. Ever. An angel is God. Yes, only God. And so here... There, he's allowing Joshua to worship him because it's Jesus. Right. And the same thing is happening uh, with Moses because Moses, he hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Huh? Is that because he thought he was God? Well, this was even before he was told that, you know, because that's later. But I think it, what it was is, you know, when we encounter God and we realize you know what, I'm not perfect. You know, and, and you're looking upon one who is. Right. Yeah. So I think that's it's reverence in all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I wanted to. Oh. Doesn't it say that's what we're supposed to do? Fear God? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you know in Exodus 3 5, it says, um, it says, take off your, your uh, sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know that that's the first time that the word holy is used mm -hmm. in reference to God? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In Exodus, that's the first mm -hmm. In Exodus 3, 5. 
And because uh, Joshua, you know, of course, is after that. But in, at this point where he's holy, he is appearing as a fire. In reference to God. Yeah. And so um, because it's fire, you know, it's it's speaking of holiness and purification. Right. Because that's what they used fire for. Um, God is the definition of holiness. Okay, so um, Moses, because he experienced it, do you know that it it left a a lasting impression on him, a profound impression? So he actually uses it later in Exodus 15, 11. In his song, he says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Okay, you have to think. He was brought up in Egypt around how many gods? A lot. (laughs) And so he's saying, who is like you, O Lord, among them? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? When you understand his story and you really understand his words, it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, he experienced those things. He is speaking from the heart, right? Do you know one of the things that's interesting, and if you'll notice throughout all of this that we're talking about tonight, especially in in Exodus 3 and 4, um, look at this one thing. Look at verse 6, and this this is what I'm saying. It says, moreover, this is God talking to him. So he's saying, you know, in verse 5, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of whose father? Your Your father. He starts there. Then he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay, that so stood out to me. And I, because I can identify with Moses in that. I did not have a father. He didn't have a father either. He did not. He was, he had a father, but he was not raised with his father. Right, right, right. Yes. And so you have to think he was raised in the palace. He was raised among how many other kids? How he was not really special. He was adopted right, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter. He wasn't Pharaoh's child. And so he knew the whole time he was Hebrew, and so he really didn't fit. But then he didn't fit with the Hebrews because he's living in the palace, so he's just a misfit, you know. And so God knows that he's an 80-year-old with a hole in his heart, And so he says to him, I am the God of your father. He made it personal. And he was giving him an identity because his own father was not able to do that because of how he was raised, you know. And then. Do you think that his mom told him? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously you said he knew Hebrew and, you know, so she trained him in the way he should go mm-hmm. she planted those seeds even though she wasn't going to get to have him and raise him 
fully. Right. But she did plant those seeds so that foundation was there. Yes. So that eventually when it came to fruitation. And he probably had those years with his father. Right. You know, because he was in that home. Right. Um, Okay. But, yeah. But he, he didn't get to stay there. Right. Because, honestly, um, what ends up happening is when children are raised, those first few years, the mother is so entirely important. But then as they get older, then the father kind of really comes into that that place where they really need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what's going on. But then he also needs for God to say to him, um, and I'm the God of Abraham, the eye of Isaac and of Jacob. So he is including him into their people. Mm-hmm. He's included. Mm-hmm. He has an identity. Probably Jethro would have had quite a as well, though. Oh, yeah. Because he was more of a father to him than anybody. And Jethro being a priest, he would have been God. Yeah. Very much so. So, check this out. God, he's just so cool. So, and we're going to talk about this actually Friday. Uh, not this Friday, but the next Friday. Uh, um, when we get to uh, the beginner night, yes. When we talk about Bob, Bob is a really cool lesson, by the way. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, you, you will see that one all the time, Bob. Um, but okay, in Leviticus 19:2, I went ahead and just put it on the board. It says, "Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy." For the Lord your God, I am holy. Okay, do you know that phrase, you shall be holy, is, I put it underlined in red because this is kadosh. Uh, But look, there's no Bob. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. uh, Let me tell you which one's Bob. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) This, This one is Bob. Okay, the, the, it looks like a nail, because that's basically that is what it means. But this is Kadosh, it's missing the Bob, it's misspelled. Mm. And God did it on purpose. Yeah. He misspelled it, and God does that. But you only see it in Hebrew, and he, he does it actually lots of times, especially with Bob. Okay, because people who have been doing Hebrew, okay, what is Bob? Tell me about Bob. It's a connector. It's the nail. What does it connect? Heaven and earth. Okay, what number is it? It's six, which is the number of? Perfection. No, man. Man, yes. No, 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 that's fine. I haven't been here since August. You're good. So what I'm saying, you're doing great. So, but the thing is, is, um, so the man, the missing man, it's missing the Bob. It's missing the connection between heaven and earth, yep. right? Because it's not there. But when God says, I am holy, then the Kadosh is there. I mean, the, the Bob is in Kadosh. You see it? And so... It's 
not missing. So yeah. So the connection is there between heaven and earth. That was before Jesus came. Yes. 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 Because he is the God. And and so um, <laughs> yeah, isn't that, isn't, that the, isn't that the same verse in Saint Peter something Peter? Um, it quotes this. It quotes that yeah, because quotes I never this. got that. I never understood the whole thing about being holy. I'm like, I, I can't achieve it. I know. We can't I, be can't, holy. I can't be that one. I can't. But you know but it's what? because of him in me yes. that makes me holy. Holy. Right. right. And so the beautiful thing, okay, this is what I wrote out. I said, the word you shall be holy is kadosh without the ball. And I am holy is kadosh with the ball. Right? Um you shall be holy without the Bob is an imperfection of holiness because it's misspelled. But God's I am holy is spelled correctly and shows his perfection of holiness. He has the Bob in his holiness standing for Messiah, Jesus. This tells us our holiness is not the same as his holiness and he knows it. He doesn't expect it, so he misspelled it because he's like, yep, I know you can't do it, <laughs> right? Because it's just we're not capable, and he knows it. So God knows we can't reach his level of holiness ourselves because we are incapable without Jesus, our Bob, who is the nail who connects us with heaven. Uh, that's why the sacrificial system was made uh, so that his blood could cover our sins. And God could come near us. That system foreshadows Jesus being our ultimate sacrifice, whose blood could make us truly holy so that we could approach God and be near to him. When we covenant with Jesus, he makes us holy. Amen? Because Amen. he's the Bob. We have to have him. And so 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us, for it's not from man that we draw our life, but from God as we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one. And he is our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption. That's 1 Corinthians 1.30. And then there is a second that, that confirms that. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? Yeah. I love that. It's like, wow. All right. In, in Hebrew, I know, right? Because it's like, wow. Okay. There is a lot in this lesson like this. I mean, it's like, wow. So okay. it was originally written by, yes. by Moses? Ro Moses wrote Exodus, yes, for sure. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, it is thought, actually was a conglomeration of a few writers. And then Moses actually put it all together like an anthology. It was written like this, yes. In in uh, well, in pictograph is different. This is modern. Do you want me to show you what it looked like in pictograph? Okay. 
So Kadosh, actually it looked like that to begin with. That is Kadosh. And if you put the bottom in it, It's Kadosh. What's that first letter? This is interesting. <laughs> this letter stands for holiness. Mm -hmm. And it is what was, uh, you know, in the tabernacle uh, and in the temple when they would mark something that was set apart for God's use only. This was a symbol that was put on it. It was marked for God. So since we're saying so it's not a letter? It, no, it is a letter. But it, uh, the kuf stands for holiness, because that's what letter this is. I can write it down. Yeah, this is kuf. Yeah. Right this is the kuf. The and this is dalit. Ah. And then the shin. You got to remember this is picked up. Yeah. Right. And so holy. What is this? The door. The door. Dalit is the door. Holy in the door. This is a connector. connector. Right? And this is, uh, it, it can be to destroy, it can be uh, consume, but it can also be God's signature. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So, and that's just it. All the letters, they have multiple meanings, really, but they all are consistent. They all stay the same, you know? Uh, so you could say holiness is the door that connects us to God's signature to God. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. So that's and that's the thing you can it, like read it yeah. different ways. Mm -hmm. The coof. Mm -hmm. What is supposed to? What is it supposed to represent? It's time being divided. Yeah, it's the, it's like the setting sun yeah. mm -hmm. in the east. So if it kuf is being set apart, mm -hmm. if we are saints, mm -hmm. could that represent us? Yes, it does. Because you know what? Who's God's house now? Oh, we are. We are. We are God's house. We have a big kuf written on us. <laughs> There's my next tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's funny. Okay. There's it started looking like this, and then right. when they were writing it into the scrolls, no, 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 I would be, I mean, and no, that's not even a thing, no, but who, because it's so wide, it was hard to get it into uh, to scrolls, so they ended up making it look like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so then it went from that to look like this. And that's just kind of how it changed over time. Okay. Yeah, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. <laughs> what does that smell? Oh, you put something on. It's her clothes stuff. It smells good. I didn't want to wash my hands in cold water, so I was like, I'll spray that cloth. Hey, it works. Oh, in there. <laughs> All right. Isn't this cool? Mm -hmm. I love how God does things. Uh, he, he puts. You know when he says, 
you will find me when you search for me with yes. all your heart. Oh, yeah. He means it. Oh, yeah. You know, if you search for me, if you're, I'm going to make sure you find me. Amen. I know it wouldn't. It would be about being smart, but not knowing him. And uh, yeah, he's not about just going and getting knowledge. He is about, okay, know me. It's about knowing him. Always personal. Always. So do you think uh, when God protected, uh, he put a mark on uh, Cain? Cain, you think it was? It could have been a coup. Mm. Because it was a sign of protection, yeah, and it was the it's a one of the first times that the word oat is used, mm. and you know what? We're about to see a bunch of oats again, <laughs> and we're gonna talk about that actually. When so put that mark on him. That was to protect him from being he was, well, because he would have been killed, right? And so he put the mark on him so that people wouldn't kill him, right? You know that was that. Was that his way of protecting Cain? I can see it. Was that his way of protecting Cain yeah. in a say in sense of that way none shall perish? Mm-hmm. Is that where he was going with that? Maybe so. Probably, maybe. I, I don't know. I know because Cain was afraid because he had been he killed Abel, right? Yeah. I mean, did he deserve to die? Yeah. Well, yeah. But God had mercy on him and marked him. My mind, that's what it was. Okay. I can see it. I would be. I mean, really, it means to be set apart. Yeah, <laughs> kind of cool. All right, so let's look at this. Exodus three. Somebody read seven through twelve. Then the Lord told him, "I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering." I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, uh, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the, Egypt, the Egyptians abused them. Now go, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Okay. There's a whole lot here, too. There's a whole lot in all of it. (laughs) So the first time that God ever calls the Israelites my people Mm. is right here in verse 7. Look where it says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. First time that he's laying claim to them. And then look in verses 1, because in verse 1, Go back to that, and it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Right? And then look at verse 12. 
And it says, so he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to who? Mm -hmm. To you, to Moses. So Moses needed a sign, right? Mm -hmm. And what is that word sign? Oat. Oat. Uh -huh. It's oat, which is olive and then bob and top, right? So olive, which is uh, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, top being the last letter. So you have the olive in the top, which is the et, right? But then you have the bob in the middle, which is connecting them. He's the man. The missing man is, is in the oat, right? It's Jesus. Exactly. So he's the sign. And so, look, isn't that cool? Yep. And then it says, and this shall be a sign to you, Moses, that I have sent you. And then look, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on which mountain? This mountain. Is he still on the same mountain? Has he moved? No, he's still in the same spot right? <laughs> okay, so it's telling us something. Um, there has been some debate that people have thought that Sinai, Mount Sinai, which is the same thing as Mount Horeb, they are used, those two names are used synonymously. Dozier's, okay, and, and this one, it's Horeb. It doesn't matter. It's the same place, and so um, it's not in the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. It is in Arabia. Uh, we know that because centuries later, Paul writes about it, and he says in Galatians 4.25, he says, in Mount Sinai in Arabia. So he's letting us know where is it. And so where is Moses at this time? He's tending the sheep of Jethro where? in Midian, right, in, in, in Arabia. And so would it be like God to let Moses bring the people back to a place he's familiar with? That he's like, oh, okay, I've been there. I know this place. And then he was also around family, you know, because Jethro is nearby. And so it's like God to do that. And so let me tell you, the Hebrew word uh, horeb uh, actually is hor. Got to get that in there. Horeb. <laughs> it's hard to do, and it means a desolate desert. It comes from the root word horab, meaning to be laid waste, to be dried up, to destroy, be desolate, and to kill. <laughs> and then Sinai is Sinai, and it means thorny. Okay? That's what it means. It. Yeah. <laughs> and so both words are telling us about the terrain. It's not much. <laughs> it's, it's desolate. It's thorny. Uh, it's laid waste. And, and look at even in verse 1 it says, and he led the flock to the back of the desert. Right? And so, uh, and this is where the mountain of God was. Now, um, when it says the mountain of God, what it's saying is har. What is that word in Hebrew? Har. Mount. Mountain. Ha Elohim. 
Because uh-huh. the God or mountain of the God. Uh-huh. Not any God, the God, right? And so Har Ha Elohim. That is what it is, the mountain of God. So there's much evidence to support this mountain is actually what it's called today is Jabal all uh, laws. And here, I'll write that down. So, yeah, because yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> uh, what is this? This is the mountain of, well, actually, this is Mount Sinai. Uh-huh. Okay. This would be Mount Sinai. Uh, Mount Horeb, same place, just uh, different names. Who? Who? Oh, this? Um, Yeah, Arabs. Yeah. And actually, I saw the translation of that actually is the Mount of Almonds. I don't know why, but that's what I think it's translated. It looks like it would be the Mount of the Law. But, Yeah. 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 But the thing is, is so what happened at Mount Sinai? The burning bush. The burning bush. Well, the burning bush on the same mountain as the law was given. It's the mountain that Moses went up, met with God for two times for 40 days. Remember, he came down with his face shining because he had been with God. Um, this is quite the mountain. Yeah, but that broken, they have to go back up. Exactly. This is like a huge mountain. So that's why even in verse 1, it's making reference to it like, okay, know this mountain. It's the mountain of God, you know. And so he may not have known it when he went there and he's keeping his flock. I'm sure he didn't. <laughs> but he knew it later. Yes. It is where, and so I'm not going into a lot of detail because when we get to that, we will get to that. But yeah. When yes, it is. It's the one where on top of that mountain, it's charred black still because the fire of God came down on it. And that's in Exodus, um, I believe, 18 or 19. Would this be the same mountain that um, our names are all running together? Look at some sacrificing no you're talking about um abraham with isaac okay, yeah. and where that was was on mount moriah where the temple was uh later put up okay, yeah Not so that would be in jerusalem this would this would be down uh much further so down weird. yeah no, but so the thing is, is on no in Mount Sinai of uh, the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt, they built a monastery. Oh, okay, yeah, this is Egypt. So this is not Egypt. This is no. where, where's Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia on a map. Okay, look at this map. Look at a different map. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Vertically challenged people need it down. Well, hey, I'm going to need a pointer. I need to be able to see. Oh, they went nice. Oh, let's see it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so look. Do you see? Here is little bitty Israel. Oh, this little purple blip right here. Um, <laughs> and then you have the Red Sea. There is the Sinai Peninsula, which is not. This is Jordan. 
Here is Saudi Arabia, the big green one. So it's directly down and over a little bit. That would be Saudi Arabia. Midian would have been in there. Wait, remember, they're leaving Egypt. So they came out of there and they went across the Red Sea. Uh, and we will talk about this. And then went into Midian. Um, so that's it. Okay. That's a pretty map. Yeah. Like Lisa brought that. Isn't that cool? Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, um, we will look at this again later when they've left Egypt and they go into the wilderness. We will be back in this spot. Right? <laughs> all right. Look at the next part. Really cool part again. It's like all of this is. It's like, wow. Exodus 3, somebody read 13 through 17. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am, I am, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. How far did you? Oh, to 17. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hebites, and Jebusites know you. Okay, now, wow. Okay, so he's giving them his, this name, right? In verse 14, God reveals to Moses a supremely important truth about himself because a name is an identity, right? So he is giving him an identity about himself. He is, I am. Yeah. This name tells us he is outside of time. Um, there has never been a time where he was not in it. He was before time began and he will be forevermore. Whether it be the past, present, or future, all are the present to him. He is present in all of them equally. This should give us great comfort knowing there is never a time when he is not present in our situation. He is truly our Emmanuel, our with us God. The name I am who I am is like Yahweh, which means he who is and causes all things to be. That's what Yahweh means. Uh, and the name of God used multiple times in the book of Revelation. He who was and is and is to come. It's the same. He is I am. Um, so we have to remember Jesus used the name I am for himself several times in the book of John. In, uh, in the book of in, in chapter 8, he used it three times. Uh, in 8, 24, 28, and 58, 
One of the, the biggest times with that is before Abraham was, I am. Remember, they wanted to stone him. <laughs> you know? And then uh, in 18.5, remember when they were asking uh, when they were going to uh, arrest him? And he says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Now, a lot of times translations will put a little he in there. And if you'll notice, I am he. The he is italicized. And the reason why it's italicized is because they added that in there. That's not what he said. He said, I am. And then they all fell backward to the ground. Amen. What is that? Yeah, when I hear that, I am wounded. Yeah. I love it in the chosen. He's like, I am the law of love. I know, I love that. What verse says I am? Oh, 18.5. What these, uh, John, in John, uh -huh. John 8, 24, 28, and 58, and then John 18.5. Now, there are other times where he says, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of heaven, I am you know, uh, all these other things, uh, the door. I'm not even counting that. I'm counting when he just says, I am. What is it? Omnipotent is meaning all-powerful. Uh -huh. Omniscient, meaning he sees, uh, he knows everything. And then omnipresent is he is present in our all. There is no time. He is I am. This is this is the omnipresent. He is saying I am. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Mm. I had a comment. Okay. In 14, uh, 16, where he's saying uh, to call all the elders of Israel. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Israelites were still organized at that time. Apparently so. Well, because think they know the tribes, because they're they they know who they came down from. Because there are only four generations. Because if you go to the prophecy from Abraham, it says in the fourth generation your people will come out of uh, a foreign nation. Mm. I will call them out. So they weren't that far back that they knew who they came from. But had they been divided up into the twelve tribes at this mm -hmm. point? Well, I would think that in the families, yes, they would have been divided. But right now, they're just slaves in Egypt. Mm -hmm. But they had been living in Goshen. And so Goshen, um, it was far enough away from Egyptian society that they could be the shepherds that they wanted to be. But the thing about it is um, they grew and grew and grew, so they were growing out of it. But... Yeah. How did they involved with the Egyptians? How did they get involved? Uh, from Joseph. 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 Joseph got sold into slavery, and then he was promoted because God helped him to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And then he saw what their future was going to be, that it was going to be a severe famine. And so he helped them to organize um, so that they would have enough grain uh, for the whole seven years of famine. And during that time, his family didn't have anything. 
So he brought them into Egypt so they didn't, so they could survive the famine. Yes, that's how they got there. And so here they are. They were there for 400 years. So this is at the end of the 400 years. And because they are a good slave labor, Pharaoh doesn't want to make them let them go. So in Hebrew, what is I am who I am? I actually did not write that down. Alan was looking it up. Okay. All right. You go, Alan. That's what he was asking. I was picturing I'll be. It's uh, Yesher, uh, Ashar, uh, Yesher. Let me, let me find that, though. <laughs> it is awesome. I mean, because the more you get it, then it, the more you start understanding it, and it's just like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here is what it is. Okay, and so it looks like this. Okay, so let's look at the pictograph just because for fun. Why not, right? Yeah, a whole lot of olives. Okay, so the strong leader yeah. um, reveals the hand of Revelation. That's this one. And then the strong leader uh, it could be consumed. Uh, it could be the signature of God, the head. And then again, uh, the strong leader revealed, the hand revealed. Why does that remind me about something you used to say, the hand? You know what it reminds you of? I can tell you exactly what it reminds you of. Yeah. Yahweh. Yahweh. <laughs> yeah, because you Yahweh is you pay, Bob pay. And its uh, pictograph is the hand revealed, um, the nail revealed. Mm. Do you see the similarity wow. between the two? It's all in it. Uh-huh. So you can see why Yahweh is he who is and causes all things to be. It's the same thing, I am, right? Mm. So it's, it's all coming from the same root. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Only God can do all that, right? Yeah. All right, Whew. let's keep going. Because Papja have been around and just been around to be able to pull all that together. Uh, well, he he is so infinitely smarter than we could 
ever imagine. And you know what? The thing is, is it truly is true. You know, the rabbis say there's 70 layers to scripture. I would say there's more than that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think you can take the scriptures because it's living. It's a living language. So it just keeps going and going and going and going. It's eternal. Yeah. Okay, so what are you, where are you, as you were talking, I was writing. So what what does that say, the strong leader? Oh, the strong leader revealed, and the hand is revealed. I think it's kind of odd. This is the first time that God has spoken to Moses. We would hope that Moses understood and realized who God was. They talk about um, burning bush. That's how it starts off. And then right away they go into, you're going to leave my people out of Egypt. Yeah. I mean. But. You know, was that revealed to him earlier? Because he makes reference to that in the in the, before this. You know, so because remember when he is uh, going to his brothers, you know, the Egyptians, and he is stopping them from fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he he kills the Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he talks about I've come to deliver you. Don't you know I've come to save you? And so he's trying to save the one at that time, but he doesn't actually probably realize that he's prophesying because, yeah, he has come to deliver them. He just, it wasn't time yet because there's a timing to things. And he was saying it, but he didn't realize the extent of what Mm -mm. it meant. So let's look at this. God's telling him how everything is going to play out. From the beginning, okay, there's no mystery here. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. So look at Exodus 3, 18 through 22. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. But I'll raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, tricking the Egyptians as they will. Okay, so he's telling him exactly what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. There is no mystery here. This is what's going to happen, um, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so let's keep going. We're going straight into the next chapter because there is no break here. Not really. Uh, so Exodus 4, and somebody read 1 through 9. And Moses protested again, what if they don't, won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? The shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. 
Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into the shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of the, their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. And the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow and with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you are not convinced, by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. Okay. Woo. So let's talk about this. Yeah. So God gives him three signs, right? Now, what's the significance of that in Hebrew? If he gives it to you twice, then it's assured this is what's going to happen, right? He gives it to you three times. Okay, this is like confirmation after confirmation. This is assured. This is really going to happen. Okay, but you have to think about it like this. Um, this the word each of those times for sign is oat. So it's the same thing. Um <laughs> I, I thought this was really cool. Each of these signs has significant meaning to the Egyptians. Yes. In Egyptian society, skin diseases were seen as caused by arrogance before the gods. Moses' healing of leprosy would have showed that he was humbly obeying the God above their gods uh, who heals because their gods didn't, they inflicted, they didn't heal. The Nile River was Egypt's symbol of prosperity, provided by and protected by their gods. To turn it into blood meant their gods were powerless to protect their most valuable asset. And then finally, the sign of the snake, it spoke to what was even on Pharaoh's headdress. The snake stood for God's divine protection, their God's divine protection and power over him. These signs were clear messages that the God of Israel was supremely over Egypt's gods. Yet at the same time, God needed to change some things in Moses before he could lead his people. So God asked what Moses, had, what Moses had in his hand. And so in, in your translation, it said a shepherd's staff, right? Mm -hmm. what, what Hebrew letter is a shepherd's staff? Lamen. Lamen. And the thing about Lamen is it looks... Two words combined. Well, the main thing is, is it's pictograph. looks just like that. Yeah. It's a shepherd's staff. And so what does Lamen stand for? To go, to prod, okay, to protect, but its main thing, it's the voice of authority. So it stands for authority. Identity. Identity, yes. 
So here is what's so big in that for Moses. Those were probably those were personalized. They right? were personalized. They were not just a stick. Yeah. We think of a, a, a staff or a rod, and we think a stick. No. <laughs> it's so much more than that. So one of the things it says, um, God tells him to cast his to the ground because it was his authority at that time, his identity at that time. He'd been carrying that thing around probably for 40 years, and he carved it, and he had made it his own. Everybody knew that's Moses' staff, right? And so when he puts it down to the ground, he lays it down. What does it become? Snake. It becomes a snake. It becomes what his identity and his authority really was. And then what does it say? He says, and he was afraid and he ran from it. Mm -hmm. Right? Because when he saw it for what it really was, he was like, I don't even want that. And so what does God tell him to do? To grab its tail, to take it back up. And so at that time, he had laid his authority down and God is telling him, okay, I want you to take it back up, but this time it's mine. I'm taking that authority. And I'm taking the ownership of it. And so it was with that staff that he did all kinds of miracles. Let me give you another story that explains this a little better, of uh, the authority thing. Are you getting hot now? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So somebody go to uh, Genesis 38 and uh, look in verse 18. Genesis 38, verse 18. This is the story of Tamar. Um, and she had had a husband who had died and she had been childless. And so according to the law, her father-in-law, Judah, was supposed to provide another son for her to have a child with so that she wouldn't be childless because at that time there was no one to take care of her. And so Judah, he gave a son. That other son died, so two. And then it came time to give another, and he wouldn't do it. So... She dresses up like a prostitute and goes to the side of the road. And he goes to her thinking she's a prostitute. That's where we are in verse 18 when we pick it up. 38, 18. Mm-hmm. He answered, leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you were carrying. Okay, what's his walking stick? His staff. Yeah. In this translation, it's staff. It could be the same thing as rod. All right, and then read verses 25 and 26, the beginning of 26. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead and go to the next one. Judah recognized them immediately and said, 
she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. Well, I hope not. <laughs> but the thing is, is she had been impregnated, which is really what she wanted because she wanted a child, right, to help take care of her because that's how they did things back then. But his staff was an identifier, and that's really why she wanted it. She wanted his signet ring, his cord, and his staff, so all things that identified who was the father because they would have stoned her for being pregnant without a husband. But she was saying, okay, it's by the person who this belongs to. And so then he was like, oh, so they didn't stone her. <laughs> no one would think that just gladly give her those items. Well, but he did it out of payment because he was going to send her something later. But there, I guess so maybe there wasn't time or he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Happened to not have money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. So when God asked Moses to cast his staff to the ground, Moses was actually laying down his own authority and identity. He had trusted in for half of his life for 40 years. We all have things we trust in, like we feel it identifies us. The problem only comes if it becomes an idol, something that we trust in more than God. When Moses threw his staff down, he saw what it became, and it was a terror to him. So then he ran away from it. But when God called him to take it back up, God gave it back to him, empowered, for its ownership had changed. It wasn't just his old staff any longer. It had become the staff of God's call, authority, and identity. The Hebrew word for staff or rod is metah. And if you uh, see that written out, someone give me get this. Metah. Get this. So, metah. This is mem. This is tet. And this is hay. You don't see tet very much. Uh, very much. What is tit? It's a snake, snake. that surrounds. <laughs> so, do you know the funny thing is, is if you take the tet out, it becomes the word what? Ma. Ma. What? You know, which is interesting because. When he pulled when he pulled the tent out out of the middle, uh, Moses got his staff back from God. Moses didn't know what all God was going to do with it, <laughs> but he chose to take it up anyway. He didn't know. What did God do with that staff? It's the staff that was used to turn the waters of Egypt into blood. It was the staff that smote the rock to give water to millions of people in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. It's the staff that caused the Hebrew people to win wars when he kept it upraised. Yeah. It is. Uh, it was uh, the staff that split the Red Sea. Amen. It was an instrument that God uh, that represented God's authority, power, and identity with God. God did many wonders through the man who bowed before Him. 
He wants to do the same with you and me. Amen. Amen. All right. I have a note in my Bible that says that the snake was a symbol of both death and healing. Yes. And that is true. Mm -hmm. Think about this. So you had the fiery serpents in the wilderness. They were biting the people. They were dying. Uh -huh. They got the bronze serpent, put it up on the staff. They looked at that and they were healed. And then what did Jesus say? He said, I am the, the bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness where people, when they look at me, they will be healed. He was, that's in John 3. Mm -hmm. John chapter 3. I'll tell you exactly where. John 3:14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's 15. Why is that Jesus referencing the cross? Well, because when the serpent was put on the pole, think it had to be like at least a T. Or, but if you're going by the Hebrew alphabet, okay, it's the top, which is a cross. Otherwise, the snake would have slid down right. off of it. Yeah. So it would have been in the shape of a cross. It, that's God's pattern. Where they got the symbol for the medical profession. It is. From. Yep. All right. So let's go to Exodus 4, 10 through 17. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry. I'm in John 4. Four ten, you said? Yes. Exodus 14. Exodus, yes. But Moses. <laughs> well, I didn't even skip a beat. I said, Jesus, no, wait a minute. <laughs> but, but Moses. <laughs> Sorry. I'm tired. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. 17, you said? Mm -hmm. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a who makes a person's mouth? Who decides where whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? He knows, I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to, talk, to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous sign I have shown you. So verse 17, he's saying, yep, take up that rod, that shepherd's staff, and I'm going to do signs through it, right? Mm -hmm. And whose idea was Aaron? God. It wasn't Moses's. It was God's idea. It's like, yeah, okay. Go ahead, take Aaron. 
you'll feel comfortable with him. <laughs> well, I remember just the last, what was the last time? Because um, I underlined it. Please, Lord, I am not a man of elegant words. <laughs> and you showed us. I know, in Acts, where it says that he was good in speaking. That was in Acts 7. And I thought, huh, do you know what I think it really is? I don't think it was that he couldn't speak. I think it was that he was hard to know what to say. That he wasn't quick-witted, maybe, in speaking. Um, because it's not that he couldn't speak. There's a really good tongue-tied and words that tangled in Isn't that all of us? That's everybody. I you know. Excited. If you're nervous, you especially. Well, yeah. When you get fired up. You know, yeah. Get, yeah, that's all <laughs> You know. All right. So let's go with Exodus 4. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Go right ahead. So his brother, Aaron, was mm-hmm. a Levite, was still a Levite? Yes, he was a Levite also. Oh, that's right. He was just talking about the last time. Was it like biological brother? Yes, biological. He wasn't left in the back? No. Yeah. No. Because <laughs> he, he, that wasn't happening at that time. Moses was younger, and so that's when they had made the edict to get rid of the boys. He's the older brother. Mm-hmm. Aaron was older, and then Miriam was even older than Aaron. So while he was being nursed, yeah, Miriam was a sister. So he knew who his brother and sister were, even growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go to Exodus four eighteen through twenty six. Moses returns to Egypt. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. Go in peace, Jeff David replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand he carried the staff of God. So it's making significance again. There's that rod again, right? All right. And the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And when he's saying that, he means Israel whites. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have commanded to you, I have commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. Which is exactly what's going to happen. So through to 27? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, 26. On the way to Egypt at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Sephora, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She took his feet, she touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. I don't understand. Yeah, that is, I know. And so you have to take that the circumcision story in context with what was just said uh, about Pharaoh. So let's look at this again. 
Because it actually is pretty clear when you're looking at the context of it. All right. So look again. It says um, in verse 22 that you're talking to Pharaoh. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it shall come to pass, that's when the Lord came to sought and kill him. Now, the him, I don't think here, is referring to Moses. It's referring to his firstborn son, because what happens right after that? Then Sipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son, which would have been Moses' firstborn son and cast it at Moses' feet. Think about this. God is telling Moses exactly what's going to happen um, or going to occur. At the same time, God warns Moses about the judgment of killing the firstborn sons because Pharaoh would harden his heart against the Israelites. Then the Lord is seeking to kill Moses' own firstborn son who does not bear the sign of the covenant that God gave to Abraham, circumcision. Judgment starts with those who deliver the message. God does not deliver them out of partiality. God does not show favoritism. Moses had to get his own family right first. In order to save their firstborn son, Moses most likely holds their son Gershom down and Zipporah circumcises him. Then God lifts his judgment from Moses' son. It seems Moses was the only one who knew the seriousness of the situation because his wife, Zipporah, was disgusted by the whole experience. She cast their son's foreskin at Moses' feet and calls Moses literally a bridegroom of blood. Midian apparently did not circumcise their sons, and she did not see why it was necessary. She was the one who did it. Because it was to save their son. Because it was the sign of the covenant. See, they didn't have the, the Passover at this point. But it was starting with, judgment was starting with Moses' family. Because he was going to be the delivering that message. It, it talks about that actually in different places where uh, judgment starts at the threshold of the temple. You know, the, the priest had to have their things in order because judgment would start with them. Yeah, that I understand. So God's coming for Moses' son, but to save them, they serve Right, which was a sign of the covenant. And so it was showing that he had um, covenanted with God for his firstborn son. So that he would be saved. If you were to read that, and you didn't have I know. to stand there, well, you would be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I know, because that, it kind of is like, what? But if you read it in context, then it, it, it becomes easier to understand. Why would they not have circumcised? Why would Moses not have circumcised his sons? They weren't doing it then. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I would imagine that Moses was circumcised because his mother and father would have done it while he was a baby. Right. You know? Um, yeah. His wife was Egyptian. No, no she, his, she was, well, okay, in yeah. some places it says she's Ethiopian. Mm -hmm. 
you know, but Ethiopia was not what we kind of know Ethiopia as it, it, so much now. Um, but then she she was Jethro's daughter, uh, who was uh, from Midian. Midian was a son of Abraham, according to uh, Genesis 25 through Keturah, right? And so I don't know why they just didn't. They didn't see it as necessary, apparently, because he was definitely not circumcised. We don't know. We do know. Okay, it may be that he's younger, and I, this is why I think that maybe is. Remember when they're leaving to go uh, to Egypt? It says, and Moses put his uh, Zipporah, his wife, and his two sons on a donkey. If they're okay, if they're all on one donkey, then they would have been small. So, it says, he says, but I've hardened his heart so he refused to love people. Ah, I'm so glad you asked that. Then you tell him that this is what the Lord said Israel is my firstborn son. Mm-hmm. I commanded you, let my son go, he can worship me, but you, since you refuse, I will not give your firstborn. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him, and mm-hmm. Moses, and was about to kill him. It sounds that way, but it has to be his son because the judgment was passed so Why up. is he going to kill Moses' son? Because the judgment starts with the deliverer. And They're not exempt. He had to and so his up. family had to be... His family had to be right, too. So that he wouldn't lose his firstborn son. Yeah, they're not okay, that's still on this. So yeah. preach <laughs> I get that. I get it, but it's just going to take me a minute. To yeah. Read okay. Genesis 17 9. Okay. Go ahead. Is it? Okay. It's further, God said to Abraham, As for you, your part of the agreement, you shall keep and faithfully obey the terms of my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout this generation their generations. This is the sign of my covenant, which you shall keep and faithfully obey between me and your you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations, including a servant, whether born in the house or one who is purchased with you with your money from any foreigner who is not your descendants. And the male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, what verse is that? That is 17, 9 through 14. Okay. This is the Amplified. Okay. So it's actually explaining why that is going on mm-hmm. yeah why would they circumcise on the eighth day vitamin, uh-huh. vitamin k peaked at that time and so they were caught and so god knew he knew all of the things and so he would tell them okay circumcise on the eighth day because vitamin k would peak and then they wouldn't bleed excessively huh. it's a little different 
So like when you feel the horse, you wait till the signs are right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because they won't believe as much. Really? And it, it's very true. Mm -hmm. Earth's real. Because we've done several mm -hmm. when the signs were right. We did one when the signs wasn't. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of problems. Right. Hmm. And so you're thinking about like with the almanac, right? Mm -hmm. Or okay. The, yeah, the signs. Yeah. Where like the if it's in the head, then you can uh, can or can't. Either or, you can't like you go if you need to go get your teeth full, like a wisdom tooth. You don't want it to be in the head. You want it further, look further away. It's like the stars. Mm -hmm. I See, I don't know anything about any of that, mm -hmm. but I do know that what God says is that He made the sun and the moon and the stars for signs and seasons. Mm -hmm. And planting is the same way. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We've we had several horses done. And we always make sure that stars were right. Are right. Mm -hmm. are right. Mm -hmm. And one we didn't, and we had, it was miserable. Yeah, we had a sure. lot of a lot of problems. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. That'd be something to get into. Yeah. I don't know anything about I've that. Got a that's sister in law cool. whenever it's coming up on the new year. She'll want to find a calendar, and there's still a lot of mm -hmm. people that put out the calendars with the signs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But she wants a calendar. A lot of times, I think it's doctor's offices that do that or something like that. But she'll look for a calendar that has the signs and everything that tells you when to plant, when to what, you know, all these mm -hmm. other things. But that all goes back to God mm -hmm. creating the, the stars and stuff for mm -hmm. the seasons mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah. You know, that's what you do. 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 That's what you well, I think that's how animals are so intuitive, too. They know when storms are coming before the weather people do. Well, from the barometer. Yeah. You know, they're like natural barometers. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think even the tides are controlled by the moon. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That's cool. All right. So let's go to um, the, we're finishing Exodus 4. So 4, 27 through 31. Now the Lord, wait, okay, wasn't it Aaron? And the Lord said to Aaron. Now okay. uh -huh. <laughs> this is where I'm in it. Now the Lord has said to Aaron, go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God, and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say. And he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. When the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron, okay, when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. 
Okay. So where did they meet? Mountain of God. The mountain of God. So where is that? <laughs> it was Sinai or Horeb, right? So they hadn't went uh, into Egypt yet. Uh, and it's it's interesting that who who uh, who called Aaron out? God. Who sent Aaron? God did, and sent him to the mountain of God. So they will have experienced God there, or Aaron would have uh, met with Moses there, so they would have um, remembered that mountain, right? They had experience with that mountain already. Um, I thought that was interesting. And so it's interesting, too, that Moses... So he instructs Aaron on the signs that God gave him to perform before Pharaoh and the people so that they would believe them. When the uh, children of Israel heard their pleas for relief and freedom were going to be answered, they were filled with awe and thankfulness so that they bowed their heads and worshipped. Moses and Aaron had support from the people, but going before Pharaoh would be something else entirely. And that's where we're going next as they go before Pharaoh. One of the things, you touched on this, but I don't think you really got, realized no. what you were saying. But I want to go ahead and address it because we'll see it more. Um, actually, what it says, if we go back, right here, at verse 21, Exodus 4, 21, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, so that uh, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Do you know in Hebrew, it doesn't actually say that. What does it say? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because I've always heard that. Yeah. Something like that. What we mean with harden his heart. Yeah. What it actually, uh, what it says in Hebrew, what it's coming from is, I will... Um, I'm seeing how he is already going, and I'm just making him go the way that he's already going. He's allowing it. He's, well, it's like uh, Pharaoh's heart is like a river. It's already set to go in a certain way, and so God doesn't change the course. He lets that river go in the course that he's already aiming it. And that's really what the Hebrew is saying uh, when God says that. Uh, that. So instead of I am hardening his heart, it would be more um, I am allowing his heart to do what he's already said it to do. Very different connotation there. Yeah, it makes him sound horrible. Right? Yes. The way it was translated is not a good translation uh, because it does make God sound like he is doing this awful thing to Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't have anything to do with it. But that is not what is actually being said at all. He's just letting his natural instincts take the course that they're going to. Do you would have the same incidents where um, I'm trying to remember if it was Romans 1 or 2. I think it's Romans 2 where it talks about homosexuality and it talks about uh, how he lets them go according to whatever their decision is um, and then he gives them over to it. It would be the same thing to Pharaoh. He lets him, uh, he gives him over to what he is already doing. 
So, same thing. Welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. Now, whether you're listening to this on a Friday morning or a Saturday, maybe Sunday, I can assure you this, there's nothing like a Wednesday night Bible study at LCC. I hope you enjoy the podcast.